0: Good morning, good morning, y'all can talk back. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So asking good questions is an important part of life. Learning to ask good questions helps everyone. It helps us learn and it's it's, it's essential if we want to live. You know, growing up, our parents all asked us questions to help us learn, questions about our shapes and colors and numbers. And then as we got older, when we went to school, our teachers asked us questions. They looked a lot like tests and quizzes. But the reason why they asked us those questions is because they wanted to help ensure that we understood the material, that we grasped the concepts so that we could move on toward greater maturity in our life. As we read the Gospels, one of the amazing things, and there's tons of amazing things that we we can see and observe in the life of Jesus, but one of the the interesting and and I think amazing things about Jesus' life and ministry was that he was a master at asking good questions, of other people, if you read through the through the Gospels, you'll see that he challenged leaders with questions. He he stretched the disciples by asking questions. He uh, he he um, gave hope to sinners as he would pose questions to them. And so this morning, I want us to take our Bibles and look in Luke chapter 9. So you can take your Bibles and look in Luke chapter 9. We'll have some verses on the screen. And if you need a Bible, please stop at our welcome desk and, uh, and grab a copy of the Scriptures. Uh, but we're going to be in Luke 9, and we're going to see Jesus asking a question to his disciples. But the question that he asks his disciples... Some 2,000 years ago, is a question that every one of us, every single person in this room, and every person on planet Earth has to ask an answer for ourselves about Jesus. The question that Jesus asks then led him to extend an invitation to his disciples, unlike any other invitation ever extended. That, that, quite frankly, we'll see would have shocked the disciples, the invitation that Jesus would extend. But, but it was a, a decision that they would have to respond to. Like in, in life, we've, we've all been invited to things, right? You, you get that, you know, back in elementary school, you get an invitation to a birthday party and you're excited because Susie or Jimmy invited you to their party at their house. And then as you get older, you get invitations and you're not always excited because you're like, oh no, another Saturday. I've got to go to a shower or a wedding or go to this or that, right? So when we get invitations, it can be a mixed bag. Uh, Sometimes we're excited about them, but sometimes if we're being honest, we get an invitation and we're like, eh, I wish they would have kind of looked past me when they were making their list. Some of us uh, have probably had this experience. You've been invited to something that has the potential to change your life. Somebody wants you to come to a meeting, to come to some kind of a gathering, and, you know, and, and in essence, basically, you, you get there and it's just a sales pitch. If you do this or if you do that, your life will change. And some of you bought in to the sales pitch, only later on down the road to be disappointed. And you look back and you say, why did I agree to go to that thing in the first place? I've got all this stuff now in my life that I can't get rid of, but they told me that it was going to change my life. To be frank, frank, it's actually been a disappointment and a great letdown in my life. So we we understand what it's like to get good invitations and be excited about them, and we understand what it looks like to, to get invitations that we wish we either never received or we never said yes to. For those of you that are new today, and I see some new friends, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, We are doing a series this fall called Experiencing God. And so there are about 80 or so folks who, beyond attending on a Sunday morning, are going through a book uh, of the same title called Experiencing God, and some are going through a workbook, an interactive workbook in smaller settings uh, that goes along with this study called Experiencing God. And so this week, the, the workbook's title is uh, Love and God's Invitation. And so this morning, we're going we're to gonna kind of focus in on this idea of an invitation um, but, but the invitation in the workbook, in the book that you're reading, um, you'll find is really about God inviting us to join him in his work. As a matter of fact, that's the, the third reality of experiencing God, those of you that are reading the book. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. And that is something that in your small groups and in your reading, you'll focus in on. If you haven't done it yet, you will. And we're going to talk more about um, the specific invitations that God gives us and how to hear his invitation in the daily, weekly, the minute-by-minute minute, um, decisions and, and a journey of life. But today, um, I want us to pull back And I want us to think about a bigger, a a little bit of a more broad stroke invitation that Jesus extended to his disciples. And because of that also is extending to us today. And it's an invitation that I promise you, if you accept the invitation, won't lead you to let down. It won't lead you to disappointment. It won't lead you to regret accepting the invitation. In fact... And here's my statement. In fact, it's in accepting this invitation that we're going to read about in Luke chapter 9 that we can really begin to understand what it means to experience God regularly in our lives. And that's what this, this fall season has been about and is going to continue to be about for us as a church family, is learning to experience God in our daily lives. And so you've got to accept this invitation from Jesus if you ever really want it to happen. So I'm in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 18 uh, to, to, to 20. And If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along on the screen. It says this, Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, here's a question, who do the crowds say that I am? What is is everybody, what's the general consensus? What are people saying about me as you walk through the crowds day in and day out? And they answered, John the Baptist. Uh, But others say Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples but who do you? Who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up because that's Peter's nature, right? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus directly asked the 12, who do you say that I am? And Peter's confession, when Peter says, I am the Christ of God, really is a turning point in the gospel of Luke. It's the first time that a disciple refers to Jesus in this way. And Peter's answer is a correct answer. But again, if we track the story through the Gospels, at this point, the disciples still had this image of Jesus as this ruling king, as this political leader. They, they didn't understand that Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom, but he came to offer his life as a sacrificial death for us. And the truth of the matter is, they're not unlike many of us today. See, we, we, we know that Jesus is the Messiah, but we have yet to live out the implications of trying to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? In, my, in your day-in, day-out life, how do you live in a way that reflects the answer to the question that Jesus asked. So, so this morning, I, I want us to, to wrestle with the question. And, and more importantly, I want us to wrestle with the ramification of the answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? And, and if you're taking notes, here's the first thing we have to remember. There is a correct answer. The, the, the question has a correct answer. We know this right we We live in a culture where truth is considered to be subjective. You have your truth, I have my truth don't impose your truth on me, and i won 't impose my truth on you we 're told that that's just the way it 's supposed to be and when it comes to jesus many in many even inside of churches, many even probably inside of this room have Thought or been told that Jesus is whoever you perceive him to be. And so we have formed an opinion, we formed an idea of who Jesus is. And and sadly, a lot of us have come up with the wrong solution, the, the wrong answer to the question, Who do you say that I am? Because for some, Jesus is simply our buddy, he's our pal. He's our homeboy. He's a good luck charm. Jesus is our prom date. He's our BFF. So if we were to transport ourselves back to this moment and gather around in the circle with Jesus and his disciples, and it's not recorded, probably never happened, but maybe Jesus started the conversation with some icebreakers, and he went around the room, and he said, all right, guys, I have some questions for you. What's your favorite food? All the guys go around the room, they tell them, I like this, I like that. Okay, hey guys, what's your favorite town? As we've been traveling the, the countryside, what's been your favorite place to stop? What's been your, your favorite town? And they, they share that. And Hey guys, let's talk about this. Let's talk about our most embarrassing moment. And the guys all go around the room and they share their most embarrassing moment. And then Jesus gets to probing a little bit deeper and, and asks, okay, I have another question for you. Who do you say that I am? Imagine if Peter's response was, well, Jesus, you're a really good guy. Or you're a great teacher. I really do love how you teach. You just make make complex ideas so simple and so relatable. And what if he had said you're a wise counselor? Or maybe Jesus, you know what? I I think you are a great storyteller. How, How do you think Jesus would have responded to that? would Peter's answers have been correct sure they would have been he he is and was all of those things but they were they would have been incomplete see there are there are a lot of partial answers to the question who do you say that I am right jesus is a lot of things but if we don't understand ultimately that jesus is savior that jesus is Lord, that he is king, then what that reveals is that you still personally haven't wrestled to the ground who you think Jesus is. And for some of you in this room, that's okay. That's just a reflection of where you're at in your journey. We love people who come to Zion who are still wrestling with this question. Who who do you say Jesus is? I want people in this room regularly to be wrestling with, who do I think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? That's great. And if that's where you're at on this journey, awesome. We were all there at some point in time in our life, wrestling with the idea of, of who Jesus is. And, and we can see in the life of Jesus, and the 12 as we, we go through the, 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 the Gospels, this ongoing realization, and this ongoing deepening of understanding Of who Jesus was. See, we forget sometimes as we read the Gospels, for the disciples, everything was happening in real time. Everything was happening in the moment. They were learning, they were seeing, they were observing Jesus in real time, unlike us. We, we have the totality of scripture. We, we have time. We can look back and get a full picture of who he is. And so, again, for some, if we lack understanding, it may just be a discipleship issue, a learning issue. I haven't wrestled that to the ground. And if that's where you're at today, I'm glad you're here. Keep wrestling. Keep searching. Figuring out for yourself who do you believe that Jesus is. Full stop. Full stop but for others in the room. It's not a discipleship issue. It's not a discipleship issue, it's a heart issue. What do I mean by that? See, for some in the room, you've been taught, you've been trained, you've been discipled, you have an understanding of who he truly is. Yet who Jesus truly is has little impact on how you live your life. It carries very little weight when it comes to the decisions that you're making on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday evenings. You in your mind have settled for a perception, an idea of Jesus that is not the reality of who he really is. You've settled for homeboy or good luck charm or prom date Jesus. And so for you, and for, again, the majority of those those of us in the room who say that we know who Jesus is, we have to, if we want to begin to experience God, we have to settle this and be willing to accept the invitation that Jesus would, would give to the disciples who claimed to know who Jesus was. See, we've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying this because I think it's so true. And it's so important in the culture that we live in. We have the opportunity to decide whether or not we are going to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't force you to follow him. But once you decide, once we decide to follow Jesus, we do not get to dictate the terms. We don't get to decide what following him looks like. He sets the terms. He's the master. He's the king. He is Lord. So when he asks the question, who do you say that I am, you can't avoid the answer. There's no getting around it. Because the second thing you want to write down is this the question requires a response. The question resp- requires a response. There's no fence sitting when it comes to Jesus, there's no neutral ground. And again, remember at this point in the disciples' time with Jesus, he wasn't looking for a give us some time to think about it answer. He, he wasn't looking for a we're still trying to wrestle that to the ground. Jesus was looking for an answer. In fact, In his next words to them, I believe this, and we're going to read it in just a minute, I think he was trying to thin the herd. I I think he was trying to draw a line in the sand for his disciples. And then he, he, he uses his words to extend this invitation into a life of following his ways. So I want us to park here just for a minute before we continue reading. We started this whole series talking about God's will. And, and we, we learned that God's will is not a straight line, that we have to try to balance on this tight rope, that, that God's will is much more like a circle, and, and our goal or our, our posture or our mentality every day should be to want to live inside of the circle. God has a will, right? Before we talk about God's will for me, God's will for my life, we have to settle do I want God's will? Am I, am I pursuing and chasing after God's will? Park that there. Today, as we're going to continue to read, it's not a, the, 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 the invitation that, God, that, that the disciples get from Jesus is not about his will, it's about his way. And what do I mean by that? When I unpack and I talk about um, the, the way of Jesus, in just a minute. What I'm talking about is is a posture. It's a a, a mentality. It's a a framework for how we view living inside of God's will. God's will is about the, the things that God wants from us. God's way is the attitude that we take, the posture, the mentality that we take as we chase after God's will. And it's going to become clear as we we walk through this. So now, let's continue reading. Jesus says this in verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, he says, lean in, guys, I got to tell you something. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This would have been unsettling. This would have been shocking. This was not the news that the disciples wanted to hear. This is not who they perceived Jesus to be they at this point in time were still expecting Jesus to come and take over and that they would become authorities in that that region, in that day, in his kingdom. So for him to say, I'm going to have to die, but after three days I'm going to be raised again, would have been unsettling. But you have to ask the question, why did he tell them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ Of God. Why did he say, Don't tell anyone? Because he knew that it would get them killed if they started going around saying, Jesus is the Christ of God. And and he knew that that would come for them, but it would happen much later. Again, these were not the words that they were expecting. But Jesus, in this moment, is setting the tone. He's setting forth this, this reminder to the disciples, that he wasn't set by the Father to make people happy so that they could go on living a self-centered life but kind of just have God along for the ride. I'm going to do what I want. I just want you in the car with me. I I just want you to be my buddy riding shotgun into my life. Jesus wanted his disciples, and he wants to remind us that the fundamental reason why he came to earth was to, pr- to solve the problem of humanity, the problem of sin. In just a few minutes, we're going to participate in communion together. It's something that we do regularly here at Zion because Jesus told us that as his followers, we should continually, often, regularly remember his sacrifice for us because we're forgetful people. And we need to remember that the cross was and is about taking the penalty that we deserved. Because it is the only solution for our sin problem. And if you're here today and you've never wrestled that, that truth to the ground, if you, you've never settled that Jesus, as he hung on the cross, as he was, his blood was being shed, that it was being shed for you, that he was dying in your place, taking the penalty that you deserved, then I pray, I beg you to settle that in your heart. And begin to respond to the truth that on the cross he was demonstrating love for you. Greater love has no one than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And the cross demonstrates his love and it demonstrates that you are a friend. He sees you as someone he loves and cares deeply about. But at this point in time, Jesus is not on the cross. He predicts his death. He says, I'm going there. And so as Jesus begins to unpack the rest of, of this invitation, we're well really, as he begins to unpack this invitation, it's something that the disciples would never fully understand until they saw him actually hanging on a cross. But now let's continue and pick up in verse 23 and listen to the invitation. This was the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples And it's the same invitation that he gives to us. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's quite the invitation. But that's our invitation. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. until they see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus was communicating to his disciples without them realizing it or without them really being able to to understand it that when it comes to the cross, that the cross was God's plan for both Jesus and for us. The, the cross was God's plan for Jesus and for us. And if you want to write it down, I, I, maybe this isn't a good way to say it, but this is what I wrote down this week. To follow a crucified Savior and to live a crucified life means accepting His invitation to follow the way of the cross. And what, what do I mean when I say the way of the cross? Well, the way of the cross is a a default posture. It's our framework for following Him. It's the mindset that we choose. And if we read Jesus' words, you you would find that the way of the cross is really about humility, it's about sacrifice, it's about losing for the sake of others. And so when Jesus extended this, in, this invitation to live the, the, this cross life, this life of, of surrender, of humility, of sacrifice, of losing for the sake of others, this way of living was untested at the time. In, in the first century, nobody was calling others to live a life that looked like self-sacrifice. Jesus was introducing and calling people to a new kind of living, a new kind of thinking. In the first century, every, everything was about winning and losing. It was about gains and losses. But Jesus says, listen, until you're ready to lose, you'll never truly win. And until you're willing to give up, you'll never really go up in life. See, our culture loves winning. Our culture loves winners, right? Everything that we see in sports and in politics and in the business world, we elevate winners. We celebrate winners. We, we put winners on statues. We put their names on buildings. We immortalize winners We create icons for people who win. But Christianity, the icon for us, isn't a trophy. It it isn't a checkered flag. And it wasn't and isn't a sword either. Some think that the Christianity icon is a sword. It's not a sword. Jesus made sure that it wasn't a sword. The icon of our faith, it's a cross. It's a cross. This is what we think about when we think about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And unfortunately, many are unwilling to follow this way this posture to adopt a i'm going to be less so that my neighbor can be more i'm going to give up some of my preference so that i can demonstrate love to my neighbor i'm going to give up some of some of my time and some of my energy and some of my resources to benefit somebody who needs those things from me see we we're unwilling often to choose this posture because we think it'll cost us too much. And so what happens is the invitation that Jesus extends to all followers, you and me who would consider ourselves followers of Jesus, the invitation to deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow him, we leave that invitation unopened on the table, just ignoring it. Content that Jesus is my savior, glad that he paid for my sins, glad that he died the death that I deserve, but unwilling ourselves to die, to give up, to lose so that others could win. Why, why, Why are we so unwilling to follow this way? See, we think That following the way of the cross somehow makes us less productive. Because let's be honest, if you're going to follow the way of the cross, Jesus's way, if you accept this invitation, we think we're going to be less productive because it usually means we're going to have to adjust some of our times. We've been around church enough. We, we've heard the preacher preach. We've heard the guy who gives, gives announcements say, hey, we need you. We need your time. We need your energy. We need your resources. We need some of you. And, 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 and it's going to take an adjustment on your part. And we think, well, if I follow the way of the cross, I'm going to be less productive because I'm going to have to give my time to something other than what I'm giving my time to. The reality Following the way of the cross won't make you less productive, it will make you better productive. What do I mean by that? Well, see, you're accepting an invitation to invest in eternal endeavors, to make investments in things that will matter forever. And investing in things that matter forever isn't becoming less productive, it's making you better productive. It's using your life for things that will outlast your life beyond time and into eternity. But we think that following the way of the cross will make us less productive. We also tend to think that following the way of the cross means that we have to become less ambitious. Trent, this whole taking up your cross, denying yourself, following me, man, I have hopes, I have dreams, I have goals, I've got big plans in my life. And so to, to, to give up all of those dreams and hopes, those ambitions that I have, I just can't do it. See, the reality is following the way of the cross won't make you less ambitious. It will make you appropriately ambitious. Appropriately ambitious. See, I, I don't believe this, that God is anti-ambition. And, and I want, I mean, I want you to dream. I want you to have goals. I, and I think God honors those things. Chase after them. But choosing first to open and accept Jesus' invitation means that you'll always seek his kingdom first. And your hopes and your dreams and your goals, your ambitions will be filtered through his kingdom. And, and, And in that, you can become more appropriately ambitious instead of being self ambitious. We think that following the way of the cross means I have to become less successful. And again, we want to be known for our accomplishments. We want to be seen for our achievements. We want the plaques, we want the trophies, we want the accolades. But the reality is, following the way of the cross simply means that you'll adjust your definition of success. And some of us need to adjust our definition of what success in life looks like. See, following the way of the cross, the way of Jesus, accepting his invitation to to take up the cross, I, I am convinced is better for you, and it will be better for all of the yous around you. Because taking up your cross, denying yourself, following Jesus will benefit others and not just yourself. See, I I believe this, that the cross can be a reminder and ought to be a reminder of both the love of God for his followers and the invitation he extends to his followers. And so for you and for me, what following in the way of the cross This posture, this mindset, this framework for how I go about doing God's will, it's going to look different. But it has to be about choosing. Choosing to lose, choosing to forgive, choosing to sacrifice, choosing to look beyond yourself. And here's the thing. Nobody wants to do those things naturally. Nobody wants to do... Do do you want to do any of those things on your own? Like, just given your human nature, do you want to forgive? Do you want to lose? Do you want to sacrifice? Do you want to look beyond yourself? The answer is, if you're being honest, is no. We are bent toward selfishness. It's it's our humanity. So, here's what I want you to learn today. If we get to the point in our life, and I pray all of us get to this point, where we choose the way of the cross, we accept Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves, to take up the cross, follow him, you're going to need something outside of yourself in order to carry that out. You're going to need supernatural help, the help of the Spirit of God that lives inside of you, that lives inside of us who are following Jesus, so that in any given moment of day or week, in any situation, if when faced with a decision, you're able to choose losing, deferring to somebody else, choose patience, choose forgiveness, choose sacrifice, you should be able to see that's not me. That's God at work in me. And when, when, you, when you're able to identify that, you know what you're actually saying? I'm experiencing God. In that moment, you are experiencing God because you're doing something that you wouldn't do on your own. So, see, the way of the cross, adopting and living with this posture, is the pathway to experience God because it means you're living in a way that you don't want to live, that you wouldn't choose on your own to live. And so when you live that way, you stop and say, Thank you. Thank you, God, for helping me to do what I don't want to do. See, we're invited every day to follow the way of the cross. Unfortunately, there are too many days that I decline the invitation. There there are too many days that I leave that invitation unopened because I want my way. I want what I want. I want to choose selfishness. I I want to choose comfort. I, I want to choose easy for me. But I know that's not true for you. You want to accept the invitation and begin to live the way of the cross. So how do we do it? Again, real quickly, as we get ready to to take communion, it takes three things. If you want to accept the invitation and live the way of the cross, it starts with deny living a self-centered life. Jesus says, let him deny himself. Again, that's counterculture. A culture that screams, you do you. You You deserve this. Go ahead and live for yourself. The invitation that Jesus extends to us is counter to that. And at some point, if you claim to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you're going to start moving away from selfish, self-centered living. I said move away from, not complete, completely like eliminate because we, we, we all will struggle at times, right? But, but there's going to have to be progress in your life. Moving away from a life that is consumed with doing the minimum for his kingdom. Trey, you just understand I'm, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. At some point... You're going to move away from that becoming an excuse for anything and everything that might require a little bit of sacrifice, that might require a little bit of of kind of pushing through your boundaries, pushing through your comfort zone. At some point, you're going to have to push through that. It's all kinds of things in my mind that will probably get me in trouble, so I won't say anything that's in my mind. But you're going to have to push through that. And I love you. But some of us are just unwilling to to allow ourselves to be stretched for anything. You don't understand, I do, I do. We've gotta push past a life that's so consumed with getting ahead personally. We have gotta push past a life where you are the center of the universe and everything revolves around you because you're not the center of the universe. You're just not. Deny living a self-centered life. And then again, Jesus said, decide to die daily. Take up his cross. And he said, daily. And we talked about this recently. I wish living the way of the cross was a one-time decision. I wish we could all come to the altar and say, Jesus, from this point on in my life, I want to live this way. And we say amen, and it's sealed, and it's done. And we never struggle with selfishness and self-centeredness and and, and wanting things our way ever again. But that's not how it works. That would not be a life of faith. That That would not be a life of dependence. That would not be a life where we have to daily check in with God. We have to sometimes hourly check ourselves, check our motives, look inside of what's driving us so that we can defeat self And allow Christ to rule and reign in our life. We have to do this daily. And then the third thing is we've got to develop a posture, this posture of submission. Jesus said, Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And we've all got to get to the place where we say, I will do what He wants, when He wants, where He wants. I want His will and I'm going to follow his way. It's a mentality. It's a posture. And why are we going to choose to do this? Because we are convinced. The answer to the question, who do you say that I am? We say and we believe that he is the sinless son of God, that he is the king of kings, and that he is the Lord of lords that he is majestic in power, that he is holy in character, and that he is worthy of all that I am and of all that I have. And because I believe that, I'm going to choose to live out the implications that he is the Christ of God. That's a choice many in this room need to make and settle in our hearts as we continue moving forward and experiencing God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to do communion a little bit differently today. So just just stay with me, dial in. First of all, if you're here today and you're not yet following Jesus, you haven't made the declaration, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross, he was buried and rose again for me, and I'm going to put my faith in him, then, then, then I invite you to do that, to make the decision to start following Jesus today. And if you're not sure what that looks like when we have this, this time of response, come and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to make that decision. I want to follow Jesus, but I have questions or I need you to, to help me kind of get started and we'll help you get started with following Jesus. But for those who have made the decision to follow Jesus I want us to think about communion a little bit differently today. I said that the cross, the icon of our faith, when we think about the cross, I think it's okay for the cross to be a reminder, first and foremost, above and beyond everything else, it's a reminder of Christ's death, his payment for our sin. Full stop. That's what the cross is about. But I think when you think And consider Jesus' invitation that we read and and unpacked a little bit this morning. When we think about the cross, it can and ought to be a reminder of the invitation to take up our cross. And so today, here's here's my challenge to you. We're going to take communion on our own. And you are free, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come and take the cup and you can sit with a with a neighbor, with a spouse, with a friend and you can sit and take communion together or stand and take communion together take the, the bread and, and take a minute to say thank you Jesus for your body and then take the, the juice and it's just grape juice, bad grape juice at that and and think about Christ's blood and, and say thank you for, for the blood and you can take that and, and do that in a very personal way and, and you're right to do that but I want you to take another step today. I want you to consider whether or not you've ever made the decision to live the way of the cross. To to just say, you know what? With your help, I want to take up my cross. I want to die daily. I want to follow you, Jesus, to live in a way that reflects how you lived your life. A life of losing, as it were, for the sake of others' gain. A life of humility, a life of sacrifice, a life of giving. And here's the last challenge. I challenge you this. Just because you can take communion today doesn't mean you should. And to me, be honest enough in your walk with God, if you're not able to take that next step and say, as a follower of Jesus, I want to take up my cross... I'm going to take up my cross. Don't take communion today. Not because you can't. You absolutely can. But because there's still something that you're wrestling with, a posture. And so maybe today it's, it's that moment where you kind of cross that line. Like I've believed the gospel before, but I've never chosen to live out the implications of a cross-centered, take-up-my-cross-daily kind of life. And maybe today you come, and before you take your communion, you come and kneel and pray and say, God, I want that kind of life. I want to live that way. I I trust God's work and his spirit in your life. So however you feel called or led today during this time, please just obey and listen to the prompting of the spirit of God. But let's let let his spirit minister to us in these next few moments. Let me pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the invitation that you you give to us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow you. And it's, a, it's an invitation that we've gotta decide on. If we're ever going to experience you, we have to decide to live the way of the cross. We've got to have this posture in our life. And so I pray that we would all adopt that posture. And God, as we remember your sacrifice for our sins, may it lead us not just to be grateful for what you did, but may it lead us to, to reflect that in our lives, and how we choose to follow you. We love you, Christ. Minister to us now in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.